Welcome back to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Kathy Kuhn, and I'm the Counseling Director at Rolling Hills. This week, we'll continue our series, Masterclass, focusing on the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has called us all to faith in Him, the Son of God who fed 5,000, which is five loaves of bread and two fish. We know our God can do incredible, miraculous things, yet the challenges of life sometimes feel insurmountable. So let's explore this week how we can follow Jesus' invitation to faith in Him, even in the most daunting of situations. Um, Hey, if you have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and open to Mark chapter 6, if you have a... um, a device that will pull that up. You're, you would, you may want to read along there. That would be a great place to go. Uh, I'm going to read. We're going to read really a good bit of the the chapter. This is one of the longer chapters, if not the longest. I didn't do that research. It may be the longest chapter in the book of Mark, which is good that the breeze is blowing, so y'all won't get too sunburned or too hot as we work through all 56 verses of this <laughs> passage. Uh, <laughs> I have been thinking about how do we shorten this and. Um, we're going to do our best. So um, anyway, we're, we're, we are working through Mark chapter, the book of Mark in a, in a series called Masterclass. And this, this week, as we kind of get to uh, Mark chapter six, we're looking at faith and what it means to grow in faith and, and how each of these stories that are happening here, each of these miracles or these interactions that Jesus has with different individuals are about faith. It's about the faith journey of these different individuals. And so uh, it, it's an encouraging, challenging passage for us to walk through. I, I recently read uh, a biography about um, Teddy Roosevelt, American president. Teddy Roosevelt was really kind of him getting to the presidency. And, and one of the things that I was struck the most by in this story of Teddy Roosevelt was this really insatiable drive that he has to learn more and to grow. It was just insane. Like there was just never a time where he really paused. He was always wanting to learn something, to do something that was a challenge. And, and I can tell you as just as a follower of Christ that there's, there's a handful of people that I, that I truly, truly just look up to and respect. And, and those individuals are individuals who, as they continue to grow or as they continue to get older and, and more mature, maybe the best way to say that, is that they continue to grow in their relationship with Christ that they see the time that they're in. And there's a group of guys that, that I get to hang out with on a pretty regular basis at Panera Bread on Tuesday mornings at 6 o'clock. If you're not doing anything, want to drive to Panera Bread, or as, as Josh would call it, Bread Co., because that's, I guess, what it was used to be called, um, or is called in St. Louis. Is that true? Yeah, this is going to be a weird morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to handle myself. Um, if you don't have anything to do at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, you want to come hang out, uh, we'd love to have you. Ben Cunningham leads that group, and it's an awesome time. But there's a handful of men in that group that are in their 60s, and they continue. When we talk and we have conversations about their relationship with Christ, it's not about it being over. It's about how they want to God as in their retirement to continue to use them, to, for them to continue to grow in their faith and, and, and see God move and, and do things around them. <clears throat> that far outstretch what they've seen at this point. When we talk about faith, I, I, the, as we look at this, the, the reality is that he has so much more for us. <clears throat> I'm sorry. He has so much more for us. And we're not done, just as the song said, because we're, because we're not dead, he's not done. And we know that, that <clears throat> dead gummit. Eric, throw me that, that water right there. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, we know that God has more for us. And so in this passage in Mark chapter 6, 
I believe that there's five lessons of faith for followers of Jesus that we're going to work through. And if you have a pen and want to work through uh, the notes, we'll work through all of these there uh, in the passage. But we're going to stop and pray, and then we're going to dive in real quick. All right, Lord, we thank you for today. And we thank you for the opportunity again to do uh, to kind of get out of our comfort zone. But we know that these are places to, to shift and to be flexible. These are the places where you grow us. And we pray that as we work through the different, these different episodes, these different moments where you interact with individuals, some your disciples and some other individuals, that God, that we would see and understand God, that you desire what you desire for us to hear and see in this passage, that you would open our eyes to the beauty and the wisdom and the majesty of your word. And God, that you would be glorified as I, as I preach and you would draw men to yourself and transform us by your gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So the first, the first lesson that we see in the passage uh, is, is this, as you wanna, if you wanna write this, lesson one is it's possible to be overly familiar and yet underwhelmed with Jesus. It's possible to be overly familiar and yet under, underwhelmed by Jesus. And you start in verse one, it says this, that Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues and many who heard him were amazed. And where did this man get these things? They asked, what is this wisdom that he's been given? What, is, what are these remarkable miracles he is performing Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Verse four says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, in his own home. Verse five, and he comes, he could, he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Here's a reality that it just kind of as you work through, Jesus has had great success in every place that he's gone. Throngs of people have come out to, to see him and to be healed. But he goes home, and in this, in home, at home, there's not a lot of traction. And people know him, and they, they look at it, they, they kind of look at him, and, and there's a little conflict that's happening with the people as they see this Jesus who they, who they know, they saw him grow up. And, and you kind of, before we put ourselves in the judgment seat of these individuals at home, as, as crazy as it does sound, as they, as they look at him and, and un, don't understand what's going on, is the reality that, that you and I probably would have done the same thing. Like, we're not unlike the people in his hometown. I mean, think about Jesus left. He had been trained as a carpenter from his father, Joseph. The best that we can tell, the things that he would have done would have been what every other young Jewish boy would have done, was grown and learned the trade of his father and supposed to carry that on. Jesus had gone away, but he had not gone to be trained by any specific rabbi. He didn't come back with a, with a, with a resume full of all these wicked, awesome places that he had gone and things that he had done. All they knew is that he left and now he comes back and he's a little bit different because he's teaching and doing miracles. So there's this, there's this moment of just a little bit of tension, but I think, I think about it as if I went back to my high school today and my Algebra two teacher who I enjoyed twice in my time in college <laughs> or high school, if I would have gone back and said, hey, slow down, let me teach the class real quick. He'd be like, you... You couldn't pass it the first time, and I gave you a grade the second time. 
I'm like, you're an idiot, right? I can imagine that if, if people heard that I was teaching math at my high school and, and back in, 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 in South Louisiana, they'd be like, oh, things are going down for, for South Louisiana kids in this area. That's not going to be great. They're never going to pass whatever test they've got to pass. To, I'm, I'm too much, too much. But these people were amazed. They were amazed by what's happening and the, the difference that Jesus has been amazed. People have been amazed by Jesus multiple times throughout the first five chapters of, of, this, of, of Mark's gospel. But being amazed doesn't mean transformed. They were amazed and they were interested, but they weren't transformed by him. They knew, they knew him. They, they knew about him. They, they, were, they were familiar with him, but they were underwhelmed by who he is. They asked the questions that we would ask. How did he get this wisdom? How did he become this person that he's becoming? And a couple, a couple things that I want to point out before we move on to the second lesson is this, that, that you, you can't be gospel adjacent, meaning near the gospel. You have to be gospel transformed. That you can't be gospel adjacent. So many of us, so many times, and, and I've seen it so many times in, in lives of, of friends and family that, that because my mom or because my grandmother or because my grandfather was a strong believer, that they wrapped themselves up in that. And, and the same is here. Just because they were near Jesus doesn't mean they had been transformed by Jesus. Just because you're near doesn't mean you've been transformed. That nearness, that the reality, that what, what has to happen, faith isn't merely a connection because of your parents or your grandparents. Faith is not, a, it's not about association. It's not about knowledge of who Jesus is. All of those things these people had, it's by faith. It's a declaration of faith and trust in the person of Christ alone. You can't be gospel adjacent. You've got to be transformed by the gospel. The second thing from this passage is what we see in the lives of these individuals is that unbelief is a thief. Unbelief is a thief. The consequences of being familiar, the consequences of knowing who Jesus was, and the unbelief that followed, the rejection that followed, is that they didn't get to experience the fullness of what Christ came to do there. He would have done the same kind of miracles that he'd done in, in all over the Galilean countryside up to this point in that place with those people that he knew so well. But because of their unbelief, he was not able to, and he left. He went, to, went on to the next place. And sometimes, you know, what we do is because of our unbelief, not because of our doubt. There's a difference between unbelief and doubt. There's moments that you're going to go through where you just don't know what to do, where you don't, you maybe you're wrestling with the truth of the gospel, but there, there's a difference between unbelief and, and doubt, where they reject Christ. And because of that, they're not able to experience the fullness of him in this moment. It stole their chance to see Christ do these incredible mighty works and for their lives to be transformed because of those things. And the second lesson that we see in the passage is that this, that Jesus and faith in Jesus is a call to join Jesus in his mission and to trust his method. Faith in Jesus is a call to join Jesus in his mission and to trust in his method. Beginning in verse 6, it says this, in the second half of verse 6, it says that when Jesus went around teaching in the village to village, so he left there and went to the next place, in verse 7, calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. The disciples had been with Jesus. They'd been close to him, but now, but, and that was the, it, we saw in Mark chapter 3, he kind of brings them in and calls them to himself. But in this point, the, the whole point of bringing them and calling them to himself in Mark chapter 3 was never so that they were with him all the time. It was always with the point of sending them out. 
He was always going to commission them and send them out to go before him into the places that he was going to go. And so he sends them out. And, and, and we keep, as you keep going, and, and when the disciples, when they trusted him and then they left, he go, they go out as, in, as commissioned disciples into these places where he's going to go. And he's commissioned them to do, to carry out the ministry that he had already done. When you think about it, they're going to go do the same things that Jesus had done. He had given them a method for doing it. As you see in, the, in Acts, as they continue to carry that mission out, the things that they're going to go do is go find the synagogues in all of these places, and they're going to begin teaching in the synagogues. That's exactly what Jesus did. He set the pattern for those places. He found the gatherings of Christians, the gatherings of Jewish people, the gatherings of people who were interested, and he went there, and the, those disciples continue to do those things. He, he, they heal the sick. They cast out demons. They do the same things. The method that Christ established, but they go commissioned by him. And if you're a parent, you know what the difference between being commissioned and just sending somebody to do something is. Because this afternoon, when I send one of my kids upstairs to tell the other kid to take the trash out, if that one child goes upstairs and says, take the trash out, there's an eruption that happens that's sort of like Pompeii, right? Where everything is destroyed, it levels the house. But if I send them up with the instructions to say, tell them dad said take out the trash then they know they have to answer to me if they have an eruption right because I commissioned them well he's sending them out the way he says he's sending them out with his name they're going to do with that authority his authority to go and do these things and so they're not being sent out on their own and you and I as we are sent out we're not sent out on our own we're going to continue verse 8 it says these were the instructions. Take nothing for your journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Wear sandals, but do not take an extra shirt. Whatever, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the town. And if the, any place, And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They, they went out and preached, the disciples, they went out and preached to the people that they should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Essentially, and this will move to the next passage, the next part of this, the next lesson. Essentially, what, what happens here at the end is he's commissioned them. And what he's telling them in the instructions and the method that he's sending them out in is that they're going to go and trusting him. You're not going to bring all the things that you think you would need. You're going to trust me at every corner, every turn to provide everything that you need for the mission, for the, for the commission that I've sent you on. And for you and I, it's the same, that when he sends us out as, as individuals, he's, he's sending us out saying, hey, hey, I want you to trust me at every turn. Trust the, myth, the method and the mission that I'm sending you on. Trust that I'm going to supply for your every need and, and everything that you're going to undertake. I'm going to give you what you need for the ministry that I've called you to. And whether that's you being a parent or you working in a factory or wherever you work, it's whether it's you being a neighbor, you're, you, we are all local missionaries and all of us have been given everything that we need according to scripture as commissioned believers, as commissioned followers of Christ. We've been given everything that we need to carry out the mission that he's given us. And the lesson that we have is that, that, that faith, or the lesson in faith is that Jesus has called us to join him in his mission and to trust in his method. And the third lesson is this, that Jesus, the faith in Jesus is not a shield from life's sorrows and struggles. If you pick up in verse 14, it says this, that, that King Herod heard about this. 
hears about Jesus and the disciples doing all these incredible things. And Jesus' name becomes well known. And, and some, were, some were saying that this was John the Baptist who was raised from the dead. And that is why the miraculous powers are at work in him. And others say it's Elijah, and still others claim that he's a prophet, like the one the prophets from long ago. And, and the news of, of who Jesus is is kind of is hitting the headlines, right? The people are talking about who he is, and more and more there's this swell. Even though most of the time, up until the next couple of chapters, he's going to tell most of the individuals, especially those who are in Jerusalem and, and Jew, like right around where he's ministering, he's going to tell them, don't say anything. But it, still that goes out, still the name of Jesus is, is being spread and people know about him. And they, and they, here again in this passage, there's a theme that happens in the first five chapters and it continues to happen is that people are fi- trying to figure out who he is. It's a question that we all have to answer. Who is this Jesus? Right, they, they're gonna have to answer it here and Herod is gonna have to answer it and the disciples are gonna have to answer it again. At the end of the chapter, you'll see that they ask the question, all of these individuals, everybody that Jesus interacts with has a moment where they ask, who is he? And you and I have to answer the same question. It's not a question that somebody else can answer for you. It's a question that you and I individually have to wrestle with. What it means, who he is and what it, what it's, what it means to follow him. And see, he gets nervous, that Herod gets nervous as he hears that, John, that, that Jesus is doing this because people are saying that this is John the Baptist that's come back to life. You pick up in verse 16, it says, but when Herod heard this, that John, whom he had beheaded, had raised from the dead, he said, this is John whom I, who I beheaded is raised from the dead, exclamation point. This dude is nervous about this, right? And it tells us what happened. And I'm not gonna tell the whole story. We're gonna, we're gonna fast forward a little bit, but just to give the, the cliff notes of what happened. No, I can't, Siri, I can't. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what a day. Herod, this Herod that's in this passage is the son of Herod that you find in the beginning of Matthew, that the Magi vi- visit. That Herod is the one who has all two-year-old, male two-year-olds, two years old and under, male Jewish boys, two years old and under, killed when he hears about this king that has been born when the Magi come and visit. And this is his son, who has John the Baptist, who was born right before Jesus was born. And he has him in prison. And it says that, John, that, he, that he likes John the Baptist. He's interested in John the Baptist and his words, but some, some crossover and some things that are happening. John stood against this, this Herod for some things that he had done, and he's got him in prison. And the lady that, he's, that this Herod is married to now doesn't like John. And so some things happen here in the story, and basically John loses his head because of it. And now Herod is nervous because he thinks John the Baptist has come back to life. He takes his head, is, his, John the Baptist is dead and gone, but he thinks it's John the Baptist come back to life when Jesus is doing all these things. And you can think about a dysfunctional family. If you read those verses there through 29, it's fairly dysfunctional is what's happening there. But verse 29, it says, On hearing this, John's disciples came and they took his body and they laid it in the tomb. Now that's a backstory of what's happening right now because Jesus is, Jesus is, is still ministering in the, in the area here and, and Herod is hearing about it. And this is what's happened, it's happened in the past and Herod hearing about it right now, he's nervous now. But here's, here's what I wanna point out just real quick before we move on. Is that as humans, there are a lot of things that get under, as a human, excuse me, there's a lot of things that get under my skin. But one of the things that gets under my skin the most especially as a follower of Christ, is, this, is when individuals peddle or manipulate people with what, it, what is known as a prosperity gospel. 
this idea that if you do these things, that life is going to go great for you. It really, like, honestly, it, there's not many things that in, in Christendom that get under my skin more than that idea that, that, of that prosperity gospel. Because I, I don't know what they do with these passages like this, because it's, it's got to worry them or, unless they just skip over it completely as these individuals peddle this mess. They have to skip over these passages like this because what t- tells us in this passage, whatever, whatever they understand or, or skip over, what Mark is making sure that we understand in this passage is that Jesus, that faith in Jesus does not come with a promise that things will be easy or safe. It doesn't come with a promise of prosperity. That nevertheless, that faith in God, no matter what the cost, is always, is always, obedience to him is absolutely always worth it. I love the way that one pastor puts it. He says this, that the gospel of Mark, only five verses are given to the ministry of John the Baptist while 14 verses are dedicated to his death. And it seems a little backwards, but not if you understand the message of gospel of Mark. Because in Mark's gospel, finishing well is as important as starting well, if not even more. John the Baptist is held in in Mark's gospel as an example of one who finished well. That John the Baptist is a herald, heralded as a hero to Mark's persecuted Roman audience. And he he remained faithful and full of faith until the very end. The question for us is that will, will we remain faithful? Will we have faith that finishes? Will we endure the way that John did to the very end? Will we, will we stay steady and faithful even when things begin to fall apart? Even when the struggles are, are real, even when our lives are on the line, will we remain faithful? Will we, have, will we be numbered among those whose faith endured? The fourth lesson, and we'll just continue to jump through here. The fourth lesson is this, that faith in Jesus is a growing understanding that he can do more than we can ask or imagine. That he can do more than we can ask or imagine. If you pick up in verse 30, it says this, that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And they became, and then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't have any, a chance to eat. Now, I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can get that busy. But uh, this is what happened here. And he said to them, come, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. In verse 32, it says, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them and ran on, ran on foot from all the towns and got ahead of them. So they took like a four-mile path along, the, river, or along the, the lake. These people ran eight miles and got ahead of them. That's pretty ridiculous, right? If you've ever been passed up in a race, it can be miserable. This is what happened here for them. It says in, in, in verse 34, it says, when they landed, they saw a great, cl- great cloud, crowd and he had compassion on them because they were sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them many things. This is a sidebar, but we're gonna, I'm going to cover it just real quick. The reality is that Jesus just lost his cousin, right? John the Baptist, John the Baptist's, Baptist's, John the Baptist's head had just been taken off his shoulders. He's, he, he lost a good friend and a confidant, a, a, somebody that he's grown up with. And still, in the, in, the, in the midst of this, it's an interesting truth to me that in that moment, Christ doesn't abandon the reason that he came. He still had compassion on the crowd that was there in front of him. 
He still was faithful to do the things that he had, that he had come to do. And he saw them, even though he saw them and had compassion on them, even though he was experiencing great sorrow. The, the question for us is what if grief doesn't sideline our compassion the way it so often does, but rather deepens that compassion and furthers it? Verse 35, we'll pick up there just to kind of sidebar, but we'll come back. Verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, and so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and they were already late. So send the people away so they, can, so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages, and they can buy themselves something to eat. Many of you will know this story, and so Jesus asked them, why don't you give them something to eat? And they're like, well, how are we going to give them something to eat? That would take like a whole year's wages. And he's like, well, what do you have? And so they search around. They find out that they have five loaves and two fish, and he says, tell the people to sit down. And he, from there, he takes, he takes those five loaves, two fish, divides it up, and all of these people that are on this hillside, it says 5,000 men, so over 5,000 people are fed, and they pick up 12 baskets full at the very end. Now, I don't know if the crowd there knew what was happening. As you read the passage, I've kind of always thought that everybody there was in awe of it, but I don't know that the crowd necessarily knew what was happening here. I think in, in this passage and truly in the next one, I think in, in these, these passages, as I study them, I, I believe that these were really more for the disciples than they were for anybody else. And as Mark records them, he, we're kind of getting this inside picture of what this interaction with Jesus was like as he really just taught these disciples these lessons. And for the sake of time, we're going to jump to, to lesson five because I think that these two kind of connect to, the, to each other. And so uh, in, the, in this first one, in the feeding of the 5,000, the lesson is that he can. In, the, in the, the fifth lesson, in the feeding, in the next lesson of him walking on the water, it's that he is, that faith in Jesus is a growing understanding that he is who he says he is. In verse 45, it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him. And while he dismissed the crowd and after leaving them, he went into the mountainside and he prayed. In verse 47, it says, later that night, the boat the boat was in the middle of the lake and, and he said, and he was alone on the land and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Now, listen, I, I, I don't want to take too many sidebars, but this is pretty, pretty incredible. I, I, I just like what happens here. They're giving it all in the middle of the lake, right? Just like you and I, we give everything that we have. We're trying our very best and they're giving it all and it's just not measuring up. I believe that all of us at some point in our lives have felt this way, right? Where we're giving everything and we just don't feel like we measure up. And Jesus sees that moment. He sees them in the distress. He sees them and he goes to them. Just take heart when we're in those moments where you feel like you've given everything that you could give, that Jesus sees you, but you're not alone. He comes to us because he promises that he gives us everything that we need for life and for godliness. And so shortly there, shortly before the dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by when they saw him walking on the lake and they thought he was a ghost and they cried out because all of them were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them. He said, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. And he climbed in the boat and the winds died down and they were completely amazed. For they, did not, for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. 
the details of these two of this lesson and connect it to the purpose of these two that are that here at the end. We kind of kind of explore these as, as we close. That Jesus is not playing first here in this passage. He's not playing hide and seek with them. If he didn't want to be seen by them, he wouldn't have been seen by them. Okay, that, truly, he could have done that, right? We've seen him walk through, walk through armies in, in other passages of Scripture, walk through people who wanted to throw him off a cliff, as if, as if, and they couldn't touch him. If he didn't want to be seen, he wouldn't have been seen. What he was doing is some of the same language from the Old Testament as he was going to pass them by, which is a language to say that he was going to reveal to them his glory. But in the moment, they're terrified, they see him, but what still their hearts are hardened and they don't get it. They don't get what he's doing. They don't get the reality that what he's trying to let them know is that he is who he says he is. He's walking on the water. And they cry out to him. And he says again, in some of that same language that we see in the Old Testament, the like literal language that we says, he says, take courage, don't be afraid, which literally means have courage, I am. What Jesus is saying in this passage for, for us, and he's saying, I am Christ to the disciples, to them alone. It wasn't to a mass crowd of people. It was to these 12 knuckleheads in this boat. He's saying, I am the Christ. I'm the promised son of God. I'm the Messiah, the bread of life that you didn't pick up on just a second ago. I'm the great I am who is in flesh, who calms the seas, who spoke them into existence. Take courage. Many of the miracles that we see in all of these passages in, from Mark in the very beginning are, are because of Jesus's faith or because of the individual's faith. If you go back, it's, a, it's because of your faith that the paralytic was healed. It's because of your faith that the lady who, had the, who was bleeding for 12 years was healed. It was because of their faith. But in this passage, in the passage just before, it wasn't because of their faith that they were healed or they saw the miracle. It was to grow their faith. And this is exactly, I'm telling you, this is the moment that I got a phone call on Thursday. When, I was, when I'm writing, when I'm finishing this part, thinking, thinking, man, Jesus presses into these knucklehead disciples to say, hey, look, I am worth following. I'm worth you putting your trust in. It was right here. That I get a phone call that requires us to trust him. It requires us to say, hey, God, I'm going to trust you, even though I don't understand really what you're in the middle of. Right here. And I don't believe it was an accident for us. I don't believe that we're in a field today on accident. I believe wholeheartedly that God is doing something right now just like he did for the disciples and for, for them as they sat on the hillside and he fed 5,000 5, people or more. And as he walked on the water to say, hey, Rolling Hills, Columbia, I got you. I am who I say I am. And I can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. And because of it, I'm gonna ask you to continue to ask and imagine incredible things and believe that the God that we read about and that we sing to and that we worship and have given our lives to following is who he says he is and can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine him doing. 
I think about it, and, and if you've been around Rolling Hills for any period of time, I'm gonna ask the guys to come back up, but if you've been around Rolling Hills for any period of time, you know the stories. I'm gonna tell it to you again because it's worth telling. Because when you see God do incredible things, you tell those stories because we wanna believe that he's gonna continue to do incredible things. 15 some odd years ago, all 18 years ago, a group of young adults, really the average age was under 30. People were meeting in a, in a movie theater in Franklin in Cool Springs, average age under 30. I don't know, I can't remember how many people were there. But they decided to do, they, they did a, a, a campaign to raise money to buy a building that was way outside of the ability for this young church to do. But on that morning, they raised a million dollars with, with young adults, no more than about 200 or 250 people. So that the building that Franklin campus is in today was available because God worked even more incredible miracles so that they could be in that building. Sometimes I find myself, literally this week, I found myself thinking, God, there's no places in Columbia to even move. There's no places for us to go. And I'm reminded of miracles that he's already performed in moments like this where he says, believe that I can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. And believe that I am who I say I am. And my desire for the gospel to be proclaimed in Columbia is far greater than your desire on your best day. It's a beautiful story that the Lord is writing an incredible story that the Lord is writing. And the fact that we get to be a part of it is incredible. I, I, I say that every week when I pray, Lord, thank you for letting us be a part of what you're doing. And I mean it every week. And I mean it even more today with, when we get to these moments where we see him doing incredible things and the story that he's writing. And I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of that story with you guys. Let's continue to be those kind of people though who believe that he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine and believe that he is who he says he is and continue to ask him to do incredible things. I don't know where we're gonna be next week, but we're gonna gather to worship somewhere. And I don't, I'm, by, by the following week, we'll be solid for a little while. I'm pretty sure about that. But I don't know where God's gonna have us for a long term, but I know that he has a plan. And I'm excited about, the, about where he's taking us right now. Excited about being on that journey with you guys together. I wanna to invite our, our ushers to come up. Again, we're Baptists, so we can't not have a, by tradition. And some of y'all are like, what? You ain't very Baptist. You're right, I'm not very Baptist. But I need to stop talking right now. We gather every week to worship through songs that we sing. We gather every week to open up God's word because we believe that God's word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and it cuts through bone and marrow and divides our spirit and we need God's word. We also believe a part of that worship is gathering and celebrating by giving. Celebrating through giving and, and worshiping the Lord by saying, God, I don't put my trust, I don't put my faith in money, I put my faith in you to provide for me and for every need that I have. And so as we do take this offering, if you're a guest, if you're visiting and checking us out, we're not asking you to give. It's not, you don't have to pay to be a part of this. It's not a part of what we do. 
But if you desire to give, we'd love for you to do that. Thank you for those of you who are a part of Rolling Hills and you give faithfully and sacrificially week in and week out. I wanna pray for the offering and then I wanna um, invite some of our friends up because we have one more thing to do uh, as we close today. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for today and we thank you, God, just for the way that you're moving and the fact that we get to be a part of what you're doing. God, we, we pray that you would do truly what you say you would do and do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine and show us over and over and over that you are who you say you are and that we can trust you no matter what the cost because you're worthy of it. Lord, we pray for this offering that you would use it for your glory and for your gospel to be carried from our neighborhood to the ends of the nations. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this content has blessed you in some way, we hope you will share it with a friend and subscribe so you never miss a new sermon. Be sure to check out our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.com. Church. Tune in next week for more of our series, Masterclass.